This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. Brain Matters, the official radio show of the UA Counseling Center. We are broadcasting from the campus of the University of Alabama. Good evening. My name is Dr. B.J. Gunther, and I'm the host of the show, along with my co-host and Counseling Center colleague, Katherine Howell. In case you don't know, this show is about mental and physical health issues that affect college students, and in particular, UA students. So you can listen to us each Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on 90.7 FM or online at www.wbuafm.us. Or you can download the Crimson White app and just click on the 90.7 live streaming link. Also, usually we take questions via email, um, and we can take questions via email. If you have those, email those to brainmattersradio at wbuafm.ua.edu. And also, if you have any ideas for upcoming shows, email those to me at this same email. I'll try to remember to give this email out um, at every break. So if you have any ideas for upcoming shows for this semester. We have a few more slots in this semester since it's really kind of a shorter semester due to all the COVID stuff. Um, But definitely next semester we'll need some new ideas for uh, college mental health. So tonight is an interesting topic and when I, when I talk about this topic with people, they're always like, ooh, you know, or, or they'll say things like, oh, I think I'm a hoarder. And I, I have learned in doing the research, just because you have a lot of stuff doesn't necessarily mean you're a hoarder, you know, because a lot of people accumulate a lot of stuff and that doesn't categorize them as a hoarder, I don't think. Um, but that's the, tonight's show, the topic is children of hoarders. Until recently, most people believe that hoarders were eccentric people who died surrounded by a lifetime collection of stuff, but hoarding in families was cloistered in a vault of family secrets or passed off as an individual peculiarity. The effects of hoarding on other family members was rarely examined or understood, and only recently have we confirmed that hoarding is more common than we once thought, partly because of the attention given through reality television, especially that show Hoarders Buried Alive. We've all seen it, I'm sure. Um, the general public knows much more about hoarding and its ramifications. The, the greater awareness about hoarding is sparking an outpouring of concern for its effect on families, especially children, and mental health professionals are starting to address this growing concern with research, education, outreach, and intervention for the benefit of children who grow up in hoarding households. So my guest tonight is joining us from Hoover, Alabama. She is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice. Michelle Knight is on the phone. Michelle, are you there? I am here. 
thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know this is an unusual topic, and we were talking before we started the show about how both of us, you and I both, probably don't see a whole lot of people who are could be diagnosed with the diagnosis of hoarding, but I have seen quite a few children of probably what I would, if I, if I met their parent, I would probably give them the diagnosis of hoarding, um, but I have seen quite a few children. Thank you for joining us. Give us a little bit of information about yourself, your credentials, and why you're interested in this topic. Sure. Uh, so again, my name is Michelle Knight. I'm a clinical social worker. I have a private practice in Hoover, and it's called Integrative Health Services. And we have three other therapists, and we just also hired a psychiatrist that will start November 1st. So we're a group practice. Um, I do a lot of treatment with all types of different disorders, but I do treat a lot of um, disorders in the OCD kind of component or compulsive mm -hmm. behaviors. And some people consider quartering to kind of fall under that as like a subclass, even though it's a diagnosis of its own. Um, but one of the things that you and I were talking about was that the reason I haven't seen a ton of people with this diagnosis is, is because when people come in my office saying they believe they're a hoarder, I only get them one or two sessions. Um, and a lot of times it's because it really like uh, entails a lot of work to make progress on this particular problem um, and we can kind of go into that a little bit more in detail later um, but also too like one or two sessions is kind of hard um, to really give a full diagnosis for to me it's really important to do in-home services or wraparound services um, so that you can kind of fully assess and see exactly what's going on yes and that makes sense because it's it's um, very difficult to get a sense of what you know, how bad it is, I guess, for what the person is going through, if they ever let you get that far. You know, I think, I mean, the show I mentioned that's on reality TV, the Hoarders Buried Alive show, you know, they're always going in a person's home to um, evaluate where they are in their hoarding, you know, and the children usually are the ones who are hiring them. Well, yeah, usually they're the ones that um, are affected the most by it, and sometimes that's because the person who has the problem um, is sometimes in denial about it, or when I say denial, I don't necessarily mean that they're lying to themselves or to other people, but basically denial means that, like, you're unaware that a problem exists. Yes. T can you give us a definition of what hoarding is? So hoarding is basically um, a diagnosis that was developed in 2013, um, and it's outlined in the DSM-5 manual, uh, which stands for the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And there's a few characteristics, basically, um, that you kind of have to have in order to meet criteria for this. And one of those is difficulty letting go of material possessions. Another is excessive or compulsive acquisition of new items. And then another one is disorganization and an inability to prevent clutter. So there's a difference between like a hoarder and an avid collector. An avid collector is going to be someone who, you know, has a lot of items, but there's usually like a place that it goes and it's neat and organized. Mm -hmm. There's not really always like a rhyme or reason with hoarding. It can just be a lot of different things 
and a lot of like confusion for someone who walks in and doesn't really understand like what all's going on and why they have this or why they have, you know, a box of glass that they've held on for 15 years or, you know, a lot of devices that haven't worked in like three years or things like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a person who is a collector, um, usually don't you think they just focus on like one thing that they're collecting? Um, sometimes, but also I've seen where there's people who are collectors of different things um, or have like designated sections of their house for their different collections. Okay. Um, but you don't see that so much with like hoarding. Everything a lot of times is kind of everywhere. There's not organization. Um, sometimes it's a fire hazard when you're walking in. Right, sometimes, right. You know, fear of tripping, falling, those types of things. Yeah, and everything, you know, everything I read – in doing my research for this show is like a flea market or a thrift store is the worst enemy of a hoarder to be honest with you right yeah sounds about right (laughs) what are some let's let's start with some short-term effects of hoarding on families what are some short-term effects uh well short term could be like your temporary living environment um i guess that depends too on how long that's going on so i guess that could develop into long term um i mean to be honest a lot of the stuff that i've kind of looked at is more kind of long-term stuff because this is something that happens over time it's not something that's just like you know overnight and so more of this is like a gradual kind of long-term effect so I would think, excuse me, I would think short term would also, could also be like health issues, you know, like immediate health right. issues. You just, you just mentioned a fire hazard. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit more, even abuse, even to the point of abuse um, with regards to like the children, not so much physical, like, but it could be, I guess it could be defined as physical if there's not space for the child, if you think about it that way. You know, I have seen incidences where there wasn't really any place for the child to sleep and they end up sleeping with the parent. Right. And that could also fall under the line of just neglect. Yes. uh, And not getting their basic needs met. Yep. So some of the longer term effects would be what? Uh, Well, I look at isolation. So like if a child is constantly used to not inviting people over because their parent has asked them not to, or they themselves are afraid of what other people will think, that could follow them into adulthood and that isolation could kind of continue if they're used to that kind of pattern. Well, then they may just naturally kind of distance themselves from other people and have a hard time like being social or making friends if that's something they didn't learn in their childhood because of the hoarding. And being embarrassed, too, you know, not wanting to disclose to other people what's going on at home. I mean, in in your research, I don't remember reading about this, though. In your research, did you find any um, anybody talking about the children not knowing that it was, um, you know, dysfunctional? To live like this. In my my experience, period, just with counseling in general, I've worked with adults in all types of different environments. So whether that be like emotional, psychological, physical, um, and then not really gaining insight until later in life, because that's what they're used to. Anytime, anytime, excuse me, a child is like exposed to something, 
on a regular basis and that's what's being modeled to them unless they see something different yeah. or that's modeled to them in a different environment and they're having exposure to that they're going to think that that's normal so they're not going to so. give that insight in general i think so and and that's why i mean i have seen in my private practice i have a private practice that i've had for tw- over 20 years now um and I've worked here at the counseling center. This is my 16th, going on my 16th year. And, you know, the college students that I've seen, it's almost like they're just now coming to the realization, hey, my mom is, I think my mom is a hoarder. You know, I don't know if they realized it when they were growing up. And I've really never, we never really talked about that. Um, and I can think about in my private practice when, when I have seen children, because I, I don't see children now, but I used to see children when I first started out. And I just don't, rem- I don't think they would realize that it was not um, functional, you know. Right. I think you're right. I think sometimes, too, um, it's possible for what I have seen with some people is that the hoarding maybe doesn't get worse until a little bit later so maybe like once their children are like getting in high school or they're getting like in college it's like oh my child is getting out on their own and it's kind of like this is a new coping mechanism uh, for that and then you know um it's kind of gotten worse and maybe that's why too they didn't really recognize it because it wasn't as bad until they kind of got out of the house yeah yeah It, it got worse you know they go i've had students go home you know, let's say they come here and they don't go home till Thanksgiving and their room is practically gone. You know, they, (sighs) they come home and everything is piled in their room. It's, it's happened that quickly sometimes, you know, um, we're fixing to, we're, we're coming up on a break in just a few minutes, but before that, can you talk a little bit about, um, how, well, and, and this might be too long to get into before the break, but I want to ask you, how do you see less compassion and more frustration when dealing with hoarders? For, not only for you as a therapist, but for the people who are family members. Uh, yeah, I think so. Not just because it's something that's frustrating as far as the actual problem, but the solution is also frustrating because... It's not like you just go into a counseling session and like you work on some coping skills and then you, you know, stop picking up more items. That's fine. But what do you do with all the other items you've already got accumulated? And if you've been doing it for 30 years, I mean, it's a team approach. And a lot of people that come to me, one of the reasons they're not successful with really even starting treatment, really, besides like one or two first sessions, is because one, they got to tell people because in order to get help, more people have to know about it. And there's an embarrassment factor that comes along with that. And so people kind of shut down. That's right. When we, co- I'm going to take a quick break right now, but Michelle, stay on the line. And when we come back, I want to talk about the psychological connection for hoarders with their stuff. And let's okay. go into a little more detail um, with that if, if we can. Okay. 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 You're listening to Brain Matters on 90.7. We'll be back in just a minute. WVUA-FM, Tuscaloosa. 
This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. I'm Dr. B.J. Gunther, and I am the host of the show, and tonight we are talking about children of hoarders. My guest tonight is Michelle Wright, uh, excuse me, Michelle Knight. She's a licensed clinical social worker um, in private practice in Hoover, Alabama, and we left off talking a little bit about the frustration that even counselors have working with hoarders, but of, of course the family members, because they've dealt with this probably for years and don't get very far when confronting their family members. Is that right, Michelle? Right. So, I mean, a lot of times it's just, it's really hard to kind of get that support if you have people in your family that can't relate to it. That's like with any problem. If you're an alcoholic and you've got family members that aren't, it's hard for them to assist you if they don't know what that looks like or why it is you even have this issue to begin with. Yeah, and that's interesting you brought that up about family members. I was reading, well, I was reading this this book called, um, it's actually, it's one of my favorite books because it starts, this is really terrible to say, but it's called Stuff. And I don't know if you've ever read that. It's by Randy O. Frost and Gail, I can't pronounce her last name, Stakiti, it looks like stuff and it, it's not a real old book but i've had it for a while and it the first chapter reads i'm not gonna lie it reads like a horror book because it starts talking about and you may or may not be familiar with these twins they called them the harlem hoarders in new york and this was way back in i want to say the early 1900s even maybe maybe mm-hmm. the late 1800s they were brothers they may have been twins the colliers and And I remember, it's been a long time since I've read this book, but I do remember that first chapter was um, talked about how they lived in a small, like brownstone in New York, in Harlem, and they died in all their stuff. And they don't really know who died first. One of the brothers was a hoarder and the other one was not, but just didn't know how to confront him or didn't just know how to deal with him. And so they don't know who died first. Um, And they also found a car that was in there. I just remember that being in the book. They found a a car that had been taken apart in their um, brownstone in New York City. So this book, it's it's a fabulous book. And one of the chapters talks about is hoarding genetic and I don't know if you have come across any of that with your experiences or in any of your readings. Have you found out anything about, is there a connection, but does it run in families? To be honest, I haven't treated enough people to really know the answer to that. Um, people that I have attempted to work with have not reported that that's something um, in my experience that like they have, you know, a primary family member that struggled yeah. with that. Um, so that's something that I'd have to kind of look into more. Yeah. Um, what I read 
gave examples of another set of twins that were very similar to those tw uh, brothers that I mentioned just now. Um, and they lived in they lived in the same building, but they lived in separate apartments, and both of their apartments looked very, very similar. So they don't know if it was if if it did run in families or if it was just right. modeled, you know, mm -hmm. by each other. So right. That, that would be an interesting dissertation, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. I mean, I think that would be kind of hard to differentiate too, because in general with twins, a lot of times they can have similar patterns um, with like just behaviors in general. So it might be hard to tell like what part of that's relationship and what part, like you said, is genetic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the psychological connection between, can you talk about the psychological connection between you know, the hoarder and their actual stuff that they can't let go. I mean, there's hoarders who have like items that they find sentimental value in, but there's also like other items where I think one of the interesting things about hoarders is I think that they can see beauty, excuse me, beauty in things that other people cannot necessarily see. So yeah. like for instance, you have someone, I was talking about that like box of glass, you know? Well, someone could look at that, a hoarder could look at it and say, well, this is so beautiful. You can make all types of really cool things with oh this. Even gosh, if you're not yes. an artist. And if they bring it to me, I could just say, well, it looks like a box of glass to me. Oh my gosh, you're so, so so I think that that's kind of one of the interesting things that I have found about hoarders is that they have a really unique way of looking at things. And I think that's fantastic. Um, but also it can create issues too, if you can't stop that or kind of look at this. Okay, so do I really need this item? It's beautiful. But what's the functionality in it? Exactly. It's like somebody who's very creative. You know, it, they, I bet a lot of creative people are hoarders. You know, if you think about it, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, you know, the, when I've had students who have had parents who are hoarders, um, they talk a lot about that is they can't let, they'll say things like, well, my mom can't throw away any of my um, baby stuff. And I'm talking about, we're talking about everything that they played with, every toy, every outfit. Um, it's not that they would just keep a few things. And so they did hold a lot of sentimental value to things. Right. And I think that's the I think that's the sad part about it. A lot of times, you know, when you um, when I've seen the show Hoarders because I've watched it, um, that's sad to me because it really is a attachment you know, mm -hmm. to the things that mean something to them. And in the book that I mentioned just now, one of the um, statements was they feel like people who hoard feel like in everything they see around them that they keep, they have a memory attached to that. And so if they throw it away, they won't have that memory or they'll forget, mm -hmm. you know. I think sometimes too, it's a purpose. Like I have a purpose for this item. So like I plan to fix this or I plan to yeah. do this, but then it just never happens. Yeah. Is, um, you mentioned before the show that you uh, were listed on an OCD, you know, therapist website. Is, right. is this a form of OCD? 
so I consider it kind of like a subclass because it can go back to just like compulsive behaviors. And also one of the things that's seen is that it's not uncommon to um, for someone with uh, a diagnosis of this to also potentially not saying that every person diagnosed with wording has ADHD, but it's also not uncommon because, you know, think about ADHD also going back to like impulsivity issues. Yes. And then also anxiety and depression are also like common diagnoses too that can go hand in hand as well with this diagnosis. Do you think um, medicine, medication can help if, if it's a sub, if it's a sub um, type of OCD possibly? I guess with anxiety or depression, with that diagnosis, most definitely medication could help that, but I don't know if that would resolve the hoarding issue. You know? Right, but it might help them have better um, functionality with managing the symptoms that they feel that they can then kind of tackle um, the hoarding as well. So if your anxiety is so severe that you can't even think about throwing stuff away, well, yes. if you can get, address that, get that addressed first, then you're probably going to have a better chance at then tackling the hoarding. So those things do need to be controlled also. Yeah, I think you kind of have to look at what comes first, you know, and what's causing it. And that might be difficult. Um, can you explain, and this is a, I know this is a hard question. You may not can explain it, but talk about why do you think hoarders cannot see their behavior, um, how it's affecting the family and how it's affecting, you know, how it can be permanently altering the family dynamics? Well, I think there could be a, different reasons two things that come to mind I think I mentioned this before was denial and yes. denial again is not that you're lying purposely to yourself or to others but it's that you actually don't see that a problem exists so therefore if it's not there you can't fix it yep. so that that I would say is probably one of the one of the reasons why another one is a lot of hoarders find joy and in collecting things or you know taking in these items and so when something brings you joy yeah. it may be really hard to see the emotional stress that it causes others because maybe for you it's not causing that issue so therefore you don't have that insight makes sense and, and too if they're depressed or anxious that joy is going to trigger the serotonin release or the release of the neurotransmitters just temporarily enough. You know, I guess it could be akin to any kind of addiction. Absolutely. I mean, I look at it as an underlying compulsive issue, which, and I treat a lot of addictions, um, you know, sex addictions, um, substances, things like that. And a lot of that stuff, even eating disorders, it goes back to yes. just like the compulsive behavior. Yes. And it's funny you say that because when we were talking earlier at the beginning of the show, it, I think um, trying to convince a person who hoards to give it up or to let go of some of their belongings, to me that is akin to talking to a um, person with an eating disorder about um, changing I mean, in general, but it, it, when you mentioned that earlier, it triggered that in me. It sounds like somebody who has an eating disorder, even though they're treated differently, you know. Right. That's interesting. Um, well, go ahead. 
I was just going to say one general, like when I'm treating compulsive behaviors, uh, period, I don't really treat them that far off from each other because we're looking at the compulsion and it's not necessarily the act as much. It's like, why are you doing this? What does this provide for you? Let's look at a replacement theory, right? Like what can you substitute this behavior for that's more positive and let's focus more towards on that. How, um, I don't know how to ask this, but so I'm just going to ask it. How successful is that in most cases? With, how difficult is it to treat, I guess is what I should have asked. So my understanding with hoarding is that um, it's very difficult because you have so many components, like you've got to get a lot of times other people involved. Um, and so while um, CBD therapy is shown to be effective, I think we talked about earlier, is it can help like reduce desires to want to be impulsive and things like that. But again, it's going back to you've already got this mess in your house for 20 years. Yeah. And a lot of times that seems to be the thing that really prevents people from doing anything about it because it's just so time consuming to address. It can be very expensive when you have to involve other people. Um, sometimes the health department has to get involved. Sometimes pest control has to get yes. involved if you're hoarding animals. Um, sometimes DHR is involved, like just all these different like aspects or you know, parts of the community. And that can just be very overwhelming. Yeah, and, and it goes and also just very humiliating to the person too. Exactly. Um what about you mentioned DHR and this we've talked just briefly about how this could fall under for small children, for children under age who don't have a choice, um, this could fall under neglect. Have you ever seen that in your practice where DHR had to remove a child due to the parent being a hoarder? And to be honest, I haven't because a lot of times the clients that are coming to me um, usually already have children that are adults. That are adults, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Have you ever seen a, a child of an, a, an adult child of a hoarder? Because um, like, I, I think they would be more apt to come to counseling than the actual person who is hoarding. Um, you know, I, I can just think of a handful of people I've seen who are adults, but they don't, you know, they don't mention any, like, they don't mention DHR coming to their house or anybody reporting it because it is such a secretive thing and they don't really have any company at all. Right. Um, one of the things I read, I think in one of the articles, I think they called it doorbell panic. Um, because whenever the doorbell would ring, the children would panic because they didn't want people, and, and the parents too, didn't want people to come in and see the house, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't say that I have. Um, I think I've been more on the side of the person actually coming to me with the issue. Um, at least if I have, I haven't, it hasn't been made aware. I haven't been aware of it, um, so I'm not saying that it there aren't clients that have treated that whose parents have that issue, but they haven't brought it to my attention. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like you said, it goes back to what you say. When you start confronting people and challenging them to make a change, they're like, forget this. I'm just not going to go back. I'm just going to keep on doing this because I'm okay. Yeah. Well, you got to think about it too. Using that example we talked about earlier, like um, if a child grew up in that environment and they learned how to isolate 
um, you know, and their primary issue for coming to counseling is isolation and anxiety, they may not even make the connection that it's related to the hoarding. So why would they bring it up to right. the issues, the isolation and the anxiety? And so sometimes people just don't make those connections either. No, and it's difficult to confront them when they've lived a whole life of being in denial, you know? I mean, for the therapist to confront them sometimes. Because right. it's a shock to them. Because they're like, oh, I don't have a problem. No, I don't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take another short break. And when we come back, Michelle, I want to talk about an article that I've read um, called Kids in the Crosshairs of a Hoarding Disorder. It was written in, oh, I can't find the date. Um, maybe I could find that in the break. It was written, looks like in... Um, 2016 so just a few years ago but it talks about the negative effects of parent-child relationships and let's take each one of those and kind of dissect it through there and talk about the, the more of the negative effects these are a little bit different than what we've been talking about and they're a little more specific so if you'll stay on the line we'll be right back you're listening to brain matters on 90.7 the capstone WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa. This show is not a substitute for professional counseling and no relationship is created between the show hosts or guests and any listener. If you feel you are in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, we encourage you to contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. back listening to Brain Matters on 90.7 The Capstone. This is Dr. BJ Gunther. I am hosting the show tonight and we are talking about children of hoarders. My guest is Michelle Knight from Hoover, Alabama. She has a private practice and she's a licensed clinical social worker and we left off talking about, we've been talking off and on about denial of hoarders and even some of the children um, don't realize that their household may be dysfunctional until they are grown and can compare themselves, I guess, to other people when talking to other people or living with other people even. But I mentioned before we went to the break an article I read called Kids in the Crosshairs of a Hoarding Disorder. And it was written in, 20, it looks like it was written in 2016. And one of the, one of the sections of the article talks about a um, research observation or a research study that was done by the authors where they recruited 150 adults who grew up with parents who exhibited hoarding behaviors and um, they were presented with online questionnaires and here are some of the questions they asked these children of hoarders. Um, how long did they live with the parent with the hoarding behaviors? How old were they when the parent began displaying these behaviors? Was the parent aware of his or her own hoarding symptoms? If so, how aware? How would they describe the quality of their relationship with said parent? And was it functional or dysfunctional? 
And so those were mostly the questions that were driving the research in this article. It was so interesting. And what they came to the, they came to the conclusion that yes, hoarding negatively affects parent-child relationships. And here's what they discovered with the parents who hoard. And we may have touched on some of these already, Michelle. Lack of awareness. Most parents who hoard lacked awareness of the severity and the consequences of their behavior. We just got through talking about that right before the break. Um, next was high dysfunction. Family dysfunction was generally generally high in families of hoarders, marked with conflict and difficulties with emotion, emotional expression within the home. Michelle, can you talk a little bit about, I wonder, you may not know this, but I wonder what the divorce rates are or the relationship rates, intimate relationship rates are between hoarders and their partners. You know, that would be another interesting research um, dissertation. <laughs> Um, I know I had worked with a couple before um, that had come to me and from what I recall like and I think sometimes too it's interesting because you know one can say well this person is having this issue and then when I separate them it's like well no Michelle this person really can't throw stuff away yeah yeah it's real understand that they're kind of feeding into each other hmm that's interesting and I think too the 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 non-hoarding partner feels guilty um, about, you know, asking that person that they care about to throw away stuff when it, I mean, when they become so upset about it and angry, either crying or angry, you know, right. about it. Mm -hmm. Another negative effect is low communication. So children often lived in an environment of low communication, and this came with feelings of alienation and distrust. So there just wasn't a lot of in most of these homes, there's just not a lot of communication. Um, maybe because the parent has a mental illness, maybe because the parent has um, a diagnosis like we were talking about before and they just don't have the capacity to handle it mm -hmm. or deal with their child. Uh, another affect was low quality relationships. There was a decrease in quality of parent-child relationship even as the child grew into adults. So it seemed to me like it just doesn't get better with age necessarily. You know, the uh, communication is still bad. And what I read is a lot of a lot of children of hoarders, when they're able to get out of the house, they leave as soon as they can and they go far away a lot of times. So they don't really have to deal with it or look look at it. The issue with that though is that when their parent passes away, yep. they're the ones who are left with this mess. Yep. And it you know, it can be a huge headache. Yeah, and they have to deal with it and they can't deal with it and it's a nightmare because um, I did read about a lot of that in some of the articles I read it's just um it is a nightmare you know for the children lack of acknowledgement drove frustration the more the parent failed to acknowledge the fault in their hoarding behaviors the more frustration and resentment and anger built between them and their children at home so even though you're sitting there in the middle of all this stuff telling your mom or dad you got to get rid of some of this stuff and they're they don't see it that has to be the most frustrating part of it for a child mm -hmm. an adult child too don't you agree 
I do. Um, it just seems like there would be a lot of feelings of just being overwhelmed, especially if you're not feeling heard when you try to bring it to their attention. What about feelings of shame? Can you talk about that for the, for the children, for the adult child even? Well, I think, um, you know, as far as shame goes, with being an adult child and you see your parents still struggling with it, I could see how that would be really difficult to see them continuing to go through that process and feeling like you're kind of like helpless and then having shame with that. You're like, well, now I'm, I'm a bad person because I can't help them get out of the situation. Exactly. I have tried to do has it helped. So, so now I'm feeling terrible about it as well. Yeah. That's a good point. Do, do you think it's possible for others outside of the family to help? Yeah, I do. I think that um, it's going to take a team with a lot of these situations. Like, I mean, you've got a parent and they've only got one or two children, but they've got 40 years, you know, of a household with accumulated things. Three people cannot realistically take care of all that, you know, with, you know, if they have full-time jobs, if they have other responsibility, if they have children of their own, you know, just finding a few hours a week to be difficult. So a lot of times you need full teams to come in and take care of that. Yeah, um, one of the students I saw last year, actually, um, she, her mother had a friend, a good friend, who tried to help, and that friendship was damaged and for, forever lost, you know, because um, basically the mom chose her stuff over her friendship is what happened. And the friend tried to help the the child that who I was seeing, she tried to help her, you know, as much as she could because the child lived out of out of the county, out of town, but it did not go well at all. Um, but you also can't help someone who doesn't want to help, be helped. So I think it goes back to that too. If the person's not willing, then it's going to be difficult. That's true. Um, how can an adult child of a hoarder work on resentment and anger that stems from their parents? behavior? Um, well, I think a lot of people um, have resentment and anger towards different people in their lives for different reasons. So I imagine to me, I don't think it's very different. You just have to sit there and kind of pick them all out one by one. And why am I angry? Why am I resentful? Um, how is holding on to this going to affect me long term? And what can I do about it to kind of move on and make peace? I think a lot of it goes back to with any like childhood issues, whether it's hoarding or something else is recognizing that your parent is human. And a lot of times parents do the best they can with the tools they've been given. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes, you know, that's um, a result of them not being modeled appropriate behaviors. And at the end of the day, you have to look at like, do they love me? Did they try? And kind of focus on those things rather than the things that you felt like they didn't do right. Yes, that's, that's good advice. That's a good suggestion. Do you, um, speaking of advice, do you have any tips for children who want to confront their parent? Well, I think um, a good thing would be to just kind of sit them down in an environment where you feel like you have their complete attention. And I think you explain to them like the long-term impact it's going to have on you if they don't do something about it now. Yes. And you could also explain to them, hey, like if these things are really important to you, 
and you want to see something be done with these things after you, you know, leave this world, then you need to tell me and let's work on that now because if you leave me with everything in the condition that it is, more than likely it's probably going to get thrown away or not be taken care of the way you would like it to be. So let's do it now rather than me have to deal with it later and just get overwhelmed because when you pass away, I'm going to be going through feelings of grief. I'm going to be upset that you're gone, that your items are not going to be at the top of my list. And if anything, I'm probably going to just want to get rid of them so I can move on and grieve the loss of you because that's what's most important here. That's a good point. I, I read also sometimes you can talk to them about harm reduction, basically saying um, things like, well, if, if you can't get, this is dangerous. Like some of this stuff could catch on fire if it's close to the space heater and et cetera. I read that sometimes that works with them also, but yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation to just to confront them because I think they'll get angry. And I, that's what I've witnessed. And I bet you have to. Yeah. How about, do you have, um, I've have you ever heard of the hoarding task force provided by mental health professionals? Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I was referring to earlier as far as like wraparound services. Uh-huh, like the pest control, the health department, DHR, everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Have Finally, before we close, let's talk about some resources. I mentioned the book that I talked about and also the website, childrenofhoarders.com. Mm-hmm. That's the website I mentioned that I had actually found your name on as a therapist that who works with um, hoarders or children of hoarders. Do you have any other resources for our listeners? Uh, yeah, so resources, um, some really good like websites out there. One particular is the American Psychological Association. They have some good research um, on their website. Also, um, you know, if you are trying to help a loved one and figure out like how can you best assist them or what like resources are available in your area, call DHR and just give them a call. Like you don't have to give anyone's name, but just say, hey, like, I'm trying to help someone. Do you know of any resources available? And they may be able to point you into a direction too where it's free resources. So then that reduces the cost for the person that you're trying to help. Um, also call the health department. They may be able to give you yeah. resources as well. That's a good idea. Yes. Have you ever heard of um, a support group for children of hoarders? Uh, I'm not aware of any, like, in my area, um, but I know there's a support group for everything, so it doesn't surprise yeah. me at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Maybe I'll start one here. <laughs> what do you think about that, Catherine? I'll start one here. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. The hour goes by really quickly, and um, I appreciate your time and your advice and your opinions on children of hoarders. I think this is a very interesting topic. We could probably talk longer about it. Um, It's kind of, like you said, it's kind of difficult sometimes. You don't really have that many clients who um, are hoarders or children of hoarders just because I just think some people don't realize they are or they just don't want to deal with it. They just don't want to face it, you know, so... um, Probably not a whole lot. Probably not a whole lot of therapists could really talk to this um, t- topic like we have, you know, tonight. So thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 
No problem. I'm going to read a few things before we end the show. Don't forget our shows are recorded and podcasted on audioboom.com. Just type in Brain Matters and you'll find some of our past shows. There's also a link to Audioboom on the Counseling Center's website at www.counseling.ua.edu. And I want to mention that I, I talked about support groups. The Counseling Center offers a number of support groups and workshops to students throughout the year. For a current list of our groups, dates, and times, please visit our website at counseling.ua.edu and click the support groups link under the counseling tab. You can also call us here at the Counseling Center at 205-348-3863 to inquire further. And we have some very interesting um we have some very interesting groups this semester. We have one that Catherine leads. I think it's a very popular group, Creative Stress Relief. Um, we also have a healthy lifestyle group. We have first generation student support group. We have success and growth in the U.S. workshop for international students. Um, we also have a body image self-kindness group. So, and, and we have more. I'm just listing some of them that I can remember off the cuff. So if you're interested, give us a call or check us out on the website. And as all I want to thank the people, the few people who've made this show possible. Dr. Greg Vanderwall, he's our executive director here at the Counseling Center. Terry Siggers from the Office of Student Media, my production assistant co-host tonight, Catherine Howell, and of course my colleagues at the Counseling Center, the WVUA staff, and my guest tonight, Michelle Knight. So join us next week when the topic for the show will be Alabama canines combating op- the op- opioid crisis. That's hard for me to say. So that should be interesting. Um, join us again next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Thanks again for listening tonight to Brain Matters. Good night. This show is not intended as a substitute for professional counseling. Further, the views, opinions, and conclusions expressed by the show hosts or their guests are their own and not necessarily those of the University of Alabama, its officers, or trustees. Any views, opinions, or conclusions shared on the show do not create a relationship between the host or any guest and any listener, and such a relationship should never be inferred. If you feel you're in need of professional mental health and are a UA student, please contact the UA Counseling Center at 348-3863. If you are not a UA student, please contact Contact your respective county's crisis service hotline or their local mental health agency or insurance company. If it is an emergency situation, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.